Welcome to Chi Alpha. Are you guys excited for another evening with your Chi Alpha fam? Awesome. Uh, Hoya. There you go. All right. So Heather mentioned it. Today is a very special day. Can you turn it down just a little, Damani? It's a little hot. Uh, today is a very special day, February 7th, because four years ago, I got married to Heather McEntee. So... That's a picture from our wedding day. Yeah. So Heather looks the same. Uh, she doesn't age. I look drastically different. I had no hair, no beard, no glasses. Uh, Heather changed me. So thank you, Heather. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. Like four years ago right now, we were dancing, and it was awesome. Uh, and like a couple months after we got married, we moved up here because we wanted to be with you guys. So super awesome. Uh, best thing in the world apart from falling in love with Jesus uh, was marrying Heather. So yeah, I wanted to share that with you guys because I love my wife and you guys are my friends. And I just wanted to share my life with you guys. I know life and wife uh, is a... <laughs> Yes, I was practicing, and I was like, that's a very similar word. But anyways, yeah, so moving on, we are, uh, we are back in the normal Christian life series. Have you guys uh, been having fun with this series? Yeah. Yes, I have been having fun too. So Charles did an incredible job last week talking about faith, right? We talked about sin, and we moved on from sin, seeing our sin, hating our sin, forsaking our sin, and moving on to putting our faith in something big, right? Putting our faith in God. And so now we're going to go, as our, we saw in the video announcements, I apologize, they worked earlier, but they didn't this time. So we're figuring it out still. But in the video announcements, uh, Sarah, um, sorry, not Sarah, Abby said that we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. Um, in the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was talked about early and it was talked about often. And so we're following that model and we are talking about it early in the semester. Uh, and Jesus, he talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit too. He talked about it a lot, y'all. Uh, in fact, the very last thing that Jesus ever talked about on earth before he left was the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission. And so, if you guys know anything about last words that people have to say, you know they're pretty important. So, who likes the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yes. Nine-Nine. Uh, so, Heather and I just caught up like a couple days ago, and this show is awesome. So, yes, that's the show. Jake Peralta, he is like the main character. Uh, Jake Peralta loves his last words. So, what I mean by that is that every time Jake is about to go and get a sting, a bust, he wants to make sure that he has the, the, the words that he's going to say to this criminal, the last words they're going to hear right before they get caught, right? So, he has like, he has all these corny catchphrases that he's going to say, and I don't, I can't remember them all, but there's one episode, it's the beginning of the episode, where he literally goes, and he's on like a 30-foot skyscraper, and he's rigged up a zip line to go across to smash through a window just so that he can say this one-liner about smashing through the window, and then his sergeant is like, wait a second, 
going to do this. This is going to cost the NYPD like $10,000 in damages. Are you doing this just so you can say this line? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, no. And he's like, but I got to do it. I got to make sure this guy knows like, that he's getting justice served. Like, because his last words are so important. And there's one episode that Jake loves Die Hard so much. And there's one episode where his best friend Charles actually saves the day. And if you've ever seen Die Hard, you know that he says, yippee mother. And he says another word I can't say. But Charles comes and he saves the day. And he goes and he says, yippee-kayak, mother bucket. And he gets the word wrong. And then Jake is like, and he's like, thanks for saving us. You got it wrong. And then Charles is like, no, I don't think I got it wrong. And he's like, no, you got it wrong, right? And, or, or another example, if you've ever walked through a graveyard, kind of depressing, but if you've ever walked through a graveyard, what's on tombstones, right? People's last words. They want you to remember something, right? Last words are for people still living, right? And so what's the point of last words? We want the people who are still here to remember something, right? And so when we think about Jesus, he had last words. What were his, were, were his famous last words? Well, I already said, right, that they were about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they were the Great Commission. So where do we read that? In Acts 11, 1-9. So if you've got your Bible, open them up, or you can follow along on the screen. And so this is Luke writing Jesus' final words, his last words. And so this is what it says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, he, and as he, or after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Now guys, the reason we're here in this passage tonight, the reason we're camping here more than any other passage, is first and foremost that they are the words of Jesus. Now, I understand full well that the topic of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a topic that just kind of has this breadth, this spectrum of things that we, we all kind of know or don't know, right? A lot of us come from different denominations, different backgrounds, different upbringings. We've all heard a lot of different things about the Holy Spirit. And so, while some may say, well, this is what Paul says, or this is what Luke says, or this is what my pastor says, or this is what this famous Christian says, I feel tonight we've got to go back to the basics. What does Jesus say? Everything tonight hinges on what Jesus says. Because we can go back and forth on what a lot of other people say, but I think we have to start and submit 
to what Jesus says. And so, that's what we're going to do tonight. And so we look at these last words that Jesus says, seriously. And obviously, Jesus is coming back again. He's not dead, right? These aren't on a gravestone. Jesus is alive still, and he's coming back again. But these were the last words he said on earth before he ascended to heaven. And so they carry tremendous weight. And the last thing he talked about, the thing that he felt his disciples needed to hear more than anything else, the thing he wanted ringing in their ears and stirring in their hearts, was the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission. Jesus believed that this was of the greatest importance. And tonight, I pray that God would reveal to us what Jesus had in mind when he said these words to his disciples. So would you pray with me? And then we're going to jump into this. Jesus, right now I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our ears to hear. I pray that you would help our hearts to bow. And I pray that you would reveal to us what you want to say tonight. We trust you, God. I pray that in our weakness, in my weakness, God, you would be made strong. I am very weak. I'm very tired. Very broken and worn right now, God. And I pray that in that you would be made strong, oh Jesus. I trust you tonight, oh God. Amen. Now, guys, there's a lot that can be said about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Far more than can be said in about a 30-ish minute sermon. So, please, if I don't say something tonight, forgive me. We also have this Q&A time afterwards. So, if there's something I don't say, if there's something that you wanted me to say, um, write it down. Ask afterwards. Uh, There's just a lot that I I can't cover. But I do want to focus in on three things that Jesus talked about in this passage, right? And three things that I think are key. And so the first thing that Jesus says, and maybe the most important thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. We read in verse 4 that Jesus says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of My Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, why is this important? Why why is is the fact that the gift, sorry, why is the fact that the baptism is a gift, why is that so important? Why, might I add, might this, in fact, be the most important aspect? Well, if any of you were like me growing up, then... You probably understand me when I say the baptism of the Holy Spirit to me was literally just in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Anyone else? Who who grew up Catholic? Yes, my Catholics. All right. So when I first heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is literally what happened. Someone said, hey, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I was like, "Uh, you mean like water baptism? I was sprinkled as a baby. And they said, no, a baptism of fire. And then I was like... I have to be burned? I was like, I don't want that. Like, I got to put my hand in the fire or what? And they're like, no, like, like, and they started, and I was like, I, no, I don't want that. That's scary. You know, like, I literally, all I knew about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the, the Holy Spirit was that you said in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And so when this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was brought up to me, 
I started being like, okay, I got to figure this out, right? And so I started asking all sorts of questions, and I started to try and figure out the mechanics of it all. And I started to try to figure out all the inner workings of how it worked. And, and we do this with things, right? We start to try and figure out how things work and what's going on and the inner workings, and then we start to scrutinize and we start to dismantle. And we never stop to ask why or try to figure out the heart behind something. And with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe this has often been the case. We've sought to figure out what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and its mechanics and how God does it and why He gives it without ever actually figuring out His heart behind it. Now, I'm not pointing fingers. I, I was that person. That's what I tried to do. I was trying to figure out what it was before ever just receiving it as a gift. But I believe Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, knew us well enough and knows us well enough to know that this is often our tendency. And so when he spoke about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, here, he chose to speak of firstly not how it works or what it's for, but simply of the nature that it's a gift. You see, the foundational truth about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that it's a gift from the Heavenly Father. And if we miss this, then we miss the heart of God. We miss the heart of God, and then it means we end up having a skewed view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus intentionally told his disciples, not just here in this passage, but from the get-go. He says, the thing that I spoke of before that, I, that was promised, right? He says, I've spoken of this before. He started telling his disciples about that there was a gift because he wanted them to remember his Father's heart in the matter. And he wanted them to know that because it's a gift, that means two things. One, that it's a good thing. And two, that it's not weird, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a good thing, and it's not something to harm us or to hurt us, it's, and, it's, and it's not something that won't be for our benefit, and it's not something that's weird despite experiences we might have heard about or even had. A gift, think about Christmas <laughs> or your birthday. Today's Maxwell's birthday. Happy birthday, Maxwell. I love you, dude. Uh, Maxwell, on your birthday, you probably got a present today. Maybe you didn't. You did. When you got your present, did you expect your present to be bad or weird, apart from maybe a joke gift? You expected it to be good and normal, right? We don't expect on Christmas or our birthday, we don't expect our gifts to be bad. On Christmas, no one actually expects to get coal. No one expects to get a bad gift, and how much more a gift from God? Jesus actually speaks of this in Luke 11, 11 through 13. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The whole point Jesus is trying to make here to his disciples, and what he's still making to us today, 
is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that our Heavenly Father gives to us because He loves us. And unless we understand God's heart and we embrace His heart, that He desires to give us this gift, then it doesn't matter how much we learn. It doesn't matter how much we study. It will inevitably do us no good if we don't see His heart behind it. But as we acknowledge and as we take in the fact that God gives the baptism as a gift and as a good thing, then we come to a place where we begin to understand what the baptism is and what He intended it for. So then, as we see and we begin to understand that the nature of the baptism is a gift, what then is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now that we know God's heart, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit really? There's a lot of, lot of confusion. What does Jesus say it is? Well, picking up back in verse 5, we see the words of Jesus again. He says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now the key word in this verse, the most important word, is the word but. If any of you guys were with us a couple years ago, some of you older students in the room, you will remember a sermon where we talked about how Jesus loves his butts. Jesus loves butts, y'all. Guys, Jesus loves his butts. I'm telling you. Okay, just, just remember that. There you go. Guys, the reason why the word but here is so important in this verse is because Jesus is making a distinction. He's distinguishing here that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is distinct from salvation. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? He's contrasting John's baptism to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not, ba- if you're not familiar with basic you know, Christian theology, what we've got is John's baptism is a baptism of water. Okay, so what, what does the baptism of water represent? It represents repentance and salvation, right? And so John's baptism became the model for Christian baptism, the symbolic emblem of a life that has been buried with Christ and then raised again, right? So last semester when we had the baptismal font, that represents that, we have been, that we've given our life to Christ, right? So that is what John's baptism represents. So when we read verse 5, it's, it, read it like this, for John baptized with water, a baptism of salvation. But in a few days, but, right, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, something distinct from salvation. So what Jesus is making very clear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit here is that it is distinct and it is subsequent. Now, y'all, it's really cool. When I was preparing the sermon... Uh, I sent out a survey to all our small group leaders. Uh, And so it's really cool. Every time I prepare a sermon, I try to include at least one student. Um, I really really appreciate y'all's feedback. Um, And just, yeah, when I prepare a sermon, I like to talk to you guys. So Jordan, Ryan, you guys have helped me before. This time, I had like 60 people help me. So thank you guys. It was incredible. Um, And so in, in the survey that I sent out, one of the things I asked for was, questions that you guys had about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And two of the most 
common questions were in regards to this verse that Jesus is talking about. And so one of the questions is, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit required for me to be saved? And the other one was, didn't I already receive the Holy Spirit when I was saved? So why do I need a second experience? And to the first question, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit required for us to be saved? Right? Is, is, is it required for us to be saved? And I believe that's already been answered. But just to give a clear-cut biblical answer, no. You don't need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved. You don't. Jesus says in verse 5 that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is distinct and subsequent to salvation. Meaning it happens after we're saved. So, right, the disciples, these guys had lived with Jesus for three years, y'all. They had been his students. Jesus had died for them and for their sins. He had been raised to life in front of their eyes. They were as saved as saved could be. And now they were going to receive something distinct and different that would not change the state of their salvation, but it would change the state of their service. Now, it doesn't take too much explaining. Jesus was a really simple guy. He, he was a really simple teacher. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not required for our salvation. But, and this is another but that Jesus loves, this in no way means that it should not be desired. Nor does it mean that it is not a part of the normal Christian life. Just because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not necessary for salvation does not mean that it is not part of the normal Christian life that Jesus wants for us. Please let us never miss this simple but poignant truth. And to the second question, didn't I already receive the Holy Spirit when I was saved, so why do I need a second experience? Well, this goes to Ephesians 1.13. A, a lot of people, when, when you think about, okay, what happens when I get saved, right? So there's some theology into this. Ephesians 1.13 says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So what happens when you get saved is that the Holy Spirit actually comes and lives inside of you. He, right? He comes to dwell in you. And a couple things happen, right? He comes to convict you of sin. He comforts us. Right? He comes and helps us to walk out our Christian life. He reveals the scriptures to us. He seals us as God's own children. So yes, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. He comes in a new way that changes our lives forever. It's the most beautiful thing. As I said, like the, there's no special event that's happened in my life. There's no greater event that's ever happened in my life than the day that the Holy Spirit came and sealed me as God's own. Right? But as we take the words of Ephesians 1.3 and we interpret them against Scripture, because look, when you read the Bible, you must always remember this. The Bible must always interpret itself. No Scripture can stand on its own. The Bible always has to interpret itself. So we interpret Ephesians 1.13 against Acts 1.5, and we see that Jesus himself is saying, yes, the disciples received the Holy Spirit when they were saved, but he's also telling them that, look, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit in a different way. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit in a baptism in a different way. And I think Jeff Leake, in his book, Power for Life, 
Power for Life says it in, in a really good way. And he says, when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has you. You see, the disciples had been the dwelling place and the home of the Holy Spirit since they themselves were saved, but none of them had been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus himself says that. He says, in a couple days, you will be. And Jesus is saying, look, even though you've been saved, you're going to be giving something that's totally new. And yet, as we see in, a, in, in the fact that it's a gift, just because it's new doesn't mean it's bad or weird or different. In fact, if I could sum up the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how I think Jesus would best sum it up, I would say this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is more of the same God you already know. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is more of the same God you already know. The baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't weird, and Jesus never presented it as something weird or other. And as we look at the words of Jesus, he was never unclear. He was never confusing with what he said. In fact, he was always seemingly a few steps ahead of us. Right? What did he speak on first? The heart issue. And why? Because we often have heart issues before any other logistical issues, right? It's always a heart issue before a logistical issue. And so we got to get our heart aligned first or nothing else is going to matter. And then, in typical Jesus fashion, what does he do? In a sentence that's less than 20 words long, he goes and he packs more theology in what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is than we could ever go into in a single sermon. And then we're left with another question still. Well, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit even for? To which Jesus already has an answer in our passage. Looking at verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus never minces his words. He speaks as plainly as can be. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, guys, you can ask Heather about this. When I was preparing this part of the sermon, I didn't want, I, yeah, I struggled, man. I, uh, I spent like an hour and a half typing and then just deleted everything. And then to spend another hour and a half the next day typing and deleted. And I'm still preaching the same stuff that I typed and deleted because it was like, Jesus, I got to preach this. <sighs> Guys, what Jesus says here is really simple. But simple doesn't make it easy to swallow. Y'all, the disciples were, they were the ideal candidates they were the ideal candidates to be witnesses for Jesus. They were incredibly gifted people. Leadership qualities out the wazoo, speaking capabilities galore, boldness for days, daring like you guys would not believe. These guys had what it took to be witnesses for Jesus. And on top of that, these guys literally spent three years with Jesus. They were with Jesus every day. They breathed the same air that Jesus had breathed. They were in his small group. None of us were in his small group. They ate with Jesus. They bunked with Jesus. They played games with Jesus. They spent all their free time with Jesus. And yet, even with all of those years, all of their natural capabilities, 
we see in our passage tonight that Jesus told them to wait. If any group in all of history was more qualified to be witnesses for Jesus, it was the disciples. And yet, here is Jesus telling them to wait for a few more days to start the greatest task until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and given power. How peculiar and how odd. Now, there are many explanations for why Jesus asked them to wait. Why he didn't just send them out right away, right? But one thing no one can get away from is what they were waiting for. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason why these words are so tough, why I didn't want to talk about them, but why I have to, is what Jesus is saying is to the disciples and what he's saying to us and to me is that we aren't enough on our own. Our talents, our giftings, our capabilities, as incredible and beautiful and wonderful as they all are, will not be enough for the task that Jesus has set before us. Now, before you throw rocks at me, hear me out. You guys, Peter and the disciples could have ignored Jesus. They could have ignored his command to wait. And they could have started witnessing right away. And do you know what I think would have happened? Y'all, I think they would have started making disciples. I think they would have started making disciples. Do you know why? Because look, they spent three years with the best small group leader who's ever existed. They spent three years in the school of Christ. Look, these guys were bolder than I've ever been. That You got Peter, the most reckless dude in the world. He's going to go talk to anyone. Right? You got dudes who got leadership capabilities, speaking capabilities. These dudes, they were healing people. They were leading people to Christ. These guys were going to go make disciples. If they had ignored Jesus, they would have gone and make dis made disciples. But I would bet you every dollar in my bank account that the work that they would have done would have been nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to the 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost, let alone the countless hundreds of millions, if not billions, that have been won over the past 2,000 years because they waited for the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys, we can do a lot for God without His power. You'd be surprised how much we can do for God without His help. There's a lot of stuff that I have done, and I'll admit to you guys, there's a lot of stuff that I have done without God's help. And I've been ashamed afterwards because they've been really successful, but he wasn't in it. There's a lot of stuff that we can do without God's help, but we have no idea. Our minds cannot begin to fathom what we can do with God's help. Can y'all imagine if 3,000 people came to Chi Alpha next week? Coliseum's the only place that's going to hold us. The disciples had a superhuman task ahead of them to make disciples of all nations. And that same task is ahead of us today. The Great Commission, if you believe that the Great Commission is still something today, he, in the same breath that Jesus gave the Great Commission in Acts 1.8, he talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
that same, it's not a great suggestion, it's the great commission. And that superhuman task ahead of us to reach the world for Jesus demands superhuman power. And I'm not just talking about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to talk about those. If you want to ask about those in the Q&A, please do. But this power that Jesus gives is so much more than just the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit, the power from God, it is essential for the life that takes ground for the kingdom of God. But what does that mean if you're in this room and you haven't been baptized? What does that mean? Or if you're not sure, right? Does, does that mean, what does that mean for you? What does it mean if you're a Christian who hasn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit? What, is, what does it mean if you're a small group leader who hasn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that you're a lesser Christian? Does that mean that you shouldn't be witnessing? Does that mean that you shouldn't be leading small group? And my answer to you is absolutely not. Please don't listen to that lie. You aren't lesser. You shouldn't stop witnessing. You shouldn't stop leading. The only area where there is true issue that would come in is if there is despising of the Holy Spirit, despising of the baptism, and seeing it as something bad. And this goes back to the very first thing, the heart. If you see something that God calls good as bad, that's an issue. To talk about something that God calls good as bad is to grieve the Holy Spirit. But to not be baptized yet, that's not an offense to God. And I say yet because I believe that the baptism is for every child of God. And I believe that every one of us in this room will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap up this sermon, I just simply ask you this. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit by Jesus? Or maybe, even a more pertinent question, do you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit by Jesus? And I don't just ask, ask this to people who've never been baptized before. I ask this to everyone. Because look, in the Bible, the disciples were baptized and filled multiple times. Because we leak. We're leaky vessels. And we need to be filled again. And so I ask this to everyone, myself included, do you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit by Jesus? And you notice I say to be baptized by Jesus. This is because, according to the Bible, Jesus is the baptizer. Mark, or Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, and John 1, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I am not the one who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. No pastor is the one who does it. No one who prays over you is the one who does it. It is completely and only Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father above, administered by the Son, Jesus, and it is an indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God. Everything about it is God, which means it is good. And so what we're going to do tonight in response is we're going to have a time where there's going to be some people who are going to come up in just a little bit who are going to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one of the coolest things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that even though Jesus is the baptizer, 
He lets us still be a part of it. So I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come up. And in the Bible, we see that in Acts 2, Jesus baptized the disciples. But in every other subsequent situation, there was someone who, who laid hands on the people who were then baptized. And so what this means is that, look, you could be in your seat and Jesus could baptize you. Someone on stage could get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You could be in your dorm room by yourself tonight and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But in the Bible, more often than not, people were baptized in the Holy Spirit as a believer laid hands on them and prayed for them. And again, as I said, it's not my hands. It's not Katie Sombrio's hands. It's not anyone's who's baptizing you. It's Jesus who's baptizing you. It's the Son of God Himself. He's the one who's doing it. He's so good. And so tonight, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have some people who are going to come up and, and pray for you and believe that Jesus will do that. And so if you've never been baptized, if you don't know anything about this, what, what, what could that look like? I just want to give you some of that. What happens when you're baptized? Well, as we look at the Bible... And we see the records of Scripture. There's three things that always happened when someone was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they come under one unifying thing that I see. And so the three things was there was always what's called speaking in tongues, there was prophesying, or there was boldness of speech, which unify in, 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 the, in your mouth. And so the reason why I think this is the case, why I see it in the Bible, if you look in the book of James... James talks about how the tongue is unruly and it can't be tamed, right? So, guys, y'all, we can tame lions. We can tame grizzly bears. Heck, we can tame killer whales. If you've been to SeaWorld, people stand on their noses. It's crazy. But most of us in this room can't even tame our tongue. But when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens... Every case, there was either speaking in tongues, prophesying, or boldness of speech. And what that, what that signifies is that God gets control of our tongue, right? And if God can get control of our tongue, He can get control of every other aspect, our mind, our body, our soul, our will. If God gets control of our tongue, He's got control of everything else. If we can submit our tongue to Him, we're going to submit everything else to Him. And so... When people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, essentially, they don't shut up about Jesus in one form or fashion. God chose the mouth for this role. And, I, and, and, and we just submit to His authority and His lordship on this. And so the last thing I want to say before we get into this time of response is just what happens if you've prayed and, and you don't get baptized. Some of you, I know, have been praying for months. Some of you might have even been praying for years. What happens if you pray and you don't get baptized? What's the deal? And there's just two things I want to say this. And the first is that it's normal to wait. Y'all, Jesus told his disciples to wait. He told them to wait. And he tells us to wait, too. And this can be frustrating, I know. Jesus could have baptized his disciples right away if he wanted to, right? 
There were times in the book of Acts where people got saved, and literally minutes later, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But these dudes walked with him for three years, and what does he do? He tells them to wait. And I've got friends who've been baptized moments after they get saved, and I've got friends who've waited for five years. Why does he do that? I don't know. I'm not God. But I know that it's okay to wait, and this is why. Because when Jesus says to wait, it's always with the intention of giving. We just have to bow to the Lordship of Christ. It's okay to wait. He to- Look, if there was anyone, I, I know we don't have to do this deserve skill, but if there was anyone who should have gotten the baptism of the Holy Spirit right away, it was those guys, and he still told them to wait. It's okay to wait. It's normal to wait. And then the second reason, this one's a little more tender, but so please hear me rightly. Maybe when you asked, like the disciples, you were told to wait, and you did. But it didn't come as you expected. And so what happens is a little bit of hurt, a little bit of frustration and pain starts to creep into your heart. And maybe this isn't you. If it's not, just throw it away. But I've had very many friends who have sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit on their terms. And then it didn't go their way, and they got frustrated with God, which led to a lot of confusion, a lot of pain, and ultimately, no baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so what we've got to do is we've got to search our hearts and be honest with God. This is His gift to us. And so it's not something that we get to set the terms and conditions on. And again, I know it can be tough, but He is Lord. It's His gift. You don't get to determine the gift that someone gives to you. He gives it. So tonight, I just pray that we would see the weight of Jesus' words. We had to go to Him, not Paul's words, not Luke's words, not not some pastor's words, Jesus' words. They carry the most weight. He's the one who sent the Spirit for us to comfort us, to be with us, to give us His power to accomplish His mission that he gave us. So let us go in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives liberally to each of us, his beloved children. So with that, if I've asked, for those of you that I've asked to come up and pray, if you'd come up to the front um, to be able available to pray for people, and then I invite all of you who just want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come, and if you need to search your heart beforehand, Please do that, and then come. Love you guys.